different look at things today. All right, you there? All right, if you're there, Exodus 31, verse 1. And let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for uh, this, your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into it, and I pray that we would find some encouragement this afternoon uh, from this portion of scripture that you have given to us by inspiration, and uh, we pray that you would uh, help me to say the words I ought, help us to be attentive to the word of God, and, and keep us alert and awake to things uh, today that we need to know and be encouraged by, and I'll thank you for how you'll help, and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you're wondering probably why we read one word. That's all I'm going to preach on to know. <laughs> uh, I will admit it was an abrupt start to things, but it got your attention, didn't it? Um, and there was a reason why I read only the first word. And it's because what's to come is the solution to what's before. And so if you're going to understand what's to come and the solution, I, I think you'll find that the solution is, is far more amazing if you grasp the things that precede it. So it's, and the Lord spake, but that's because of what's been in the chapters before. So this evening, <clears throat> and is the starting point. But we've got to look backwards before we can look forward in this passage. So you can turn back to chapter 25, if you would. I should have given you a few there, Joel. I wasn't trying to ignore you. But have an outline for you, so you can kind of follow along, if that'll be a benefit to you. And what we need to see and what we're going to see, all the way back in chapter 25, if you would, at this point, is I want you to find that the problem was quite daunting. The problem that they were facing, the problem that was coming up, the problem that is going to be dealt with here was quite daunting. Did I give you the wrong outline? I gave you the wrong outline. How about if I give you the right outline? That's Wednesday. I could start on Wednesday's message. You want me to do that? No, we're not going to do that. That's Wednesday. That's part two, isn't it? Keep it for Wednesday if you want. Sorry about that. You know, I was wondering why my outline was different color than everyone else's. I could, I could, I do have the message here. I could just start in on that. All right, so question at the top is, what do you do when you can't do what God expects you to do? And uh, that's what I want you to see. All right, so here we have <clears throat> Roman numeral one. The problem was quite daunting. The problem was quite... Daunting. The problem is you didn't have the outline. All right. The problem was quite daunting. And um, I want you to think, what would you do if you were given a project at work that you thought was impossible to accomplish? It would be frustrating, to say the least. Uh, a couple of things you might do. You might, um, well, let's say, you might go to and tell them your problem. And ask them to give you some additional helpers if you have some people under you. Uh, you might ask for more provision financially, whatever might be the case. It would depend on what you were being asked to do. Uh, maybe you'd go to a fellow worker and start complaining about the workload you'd be given and then begin looking for another job. Um, 
And maybe you'll have to look for another job if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, third thing you might do is you might get your team together, if you have workers under you, brainstorm for solutions to the dilemmas that you're facing that you don't really know exactly what to do about. And you'd hope that someone would give you a suggestion that might give you a little bit of direction and maybe help you uh, to move forward with the project. And, and then perhaps as you do, you might see that there's actually the light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. Or you might go home or sit at your desk and ponder the possibilities that are there, striving to come up with some plan that will move the project forward. Or you might just get on and play games on your computer, you know. But that's not going to help solve the problem, all right? But starting in Exodus 35, God lays out for Moses what he wants him to do. And by any accounts, what's being asked is a very difficult undertaking. And I want you to, that's, that's what we're going to try to do in this first point in this, as we describe the problem. Look, Moses didn't have the money, the provisions, the ability, nor the mind that could ever come up with or complete the project God was giving him here, starting in chapter 25. You say, what is the project? Look at verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, this was part of the law. This was part of the, the laws and, and instructions and guidelines God was giving to the children of Israel. And he is describing in chapter 25 all the way until you read the word and the Lord in, in chapter 31. He is giving him all the instruction, not all of them, but a lot of instructions in regard to this tabernacle that they were supposed to build, this sanctuary. So they were supposed to build a dwelling place. So the word and is a big word in this setting because it goes back to this and he says, all right, look, there's a dwelling place I want you to make for me. That's where it starts. It's a sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? Well, it's a consecrated place. The word actually means to be clean. It's, it's one of those closely related to the matter of holiness. It was a holy, pure place that was going to be used in the worship of God. So we have uh, then this dwelling place, a sanctuary. We also find it's going to be a sanctified place, not just the meeting place. They had to be clean, <laughs> okay, or consecrated for one purpose. It was going to be sanctified, get this, by the glory of God. Take a moment and, and look at chapter 29. I know I just had you there and, and we just read one, one thing. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Look in chapter 29 and in verse 43. 29, 43. And what did God say about this sanctuary that they were going to build? And there, what was he going to do? I will meet with thee. I, I want you to think about this. By the way, today we talk when two or three are gathered, the Lord is in the midst. That's a wonderful truth. It's a wonderful blessing. He's meeting with us. He is. He indeed does that. The children of Israel are going to be building uh, or putting up a structure. They were going to be making a structure that was going to, if you would, uh, be the uh, sanctified place where God was going to meet with them. It was God's meeting place. This was where they were going to go, and they were going to talk with God, and they were going to hear from God in many ways. Uh, God speaks of his glory. Look, look, if you would, in verse... Uh, and this tabernacle shall be sanctified by, by God's glory. So look, this wasn't just going to be, uh, um, hey, let's, let's put up a tent in the wilderness. All right, this was... A very, very unique place. It not only was a sanctuary, it wasn't only going to be a sanctified place, but it was going to be a very unique place. 
You're in chapter 29 as well. In verse 42, this shall be a continual uh, uh, burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. So it's going to be a special place. So look, if that was all it was, I'll tell you, this is a daunting task that Moses is being given that he's going to talk about here in chapter 31. And the word and describes that, and the Lord. But all of that is predicated on what's come already before. You're going to build me a sanctuary. It's going to be a special place, a sanctified place, a, 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 a different place. It's going to be a, a, a diverse project. I will get the words out. A diverse project. So it's kind of like, all right, Moses, let me tell you what you need for this project you're going to embark on. Go back to chapter 25. Okay, Lord, what do we need for this? Look, verse 3, and this is the offering which you shall take of them. All right, Moses, you're going to need gold. You're going to need silver. You're going to need brass. Someone else, can you help me with this? Yeah, you're going to need blue and purple. You're going to need... Scarlet and fine linen. You're going to need goat's hair. Oh, yeah, I got plenty of that in the backyard. Right. Okay, so you're going to need goat's hair for this. You're gonna, and then what else are you going to need? Yeah, I got plenty of those sitting around in the, in the, in the, <laughs> in the tent. I some some uh, wife. Why are these ramskins in this room? Uh, okay, sorry, just thinking about how it would happen in our day. All right, the ram skins, dyed red, too. they got to be dyed red. And then they need badger skins and shittim wood. Yeah, yeah, I'm, how, many, uh, how many camels, how many, how many donkeys were going across the wilderness with, with boards attached to them? So, all right, look. You know, we, we can make fun of these things, but, but seriously, they're in the wilderness. Let that sink in. They're in the wilderness. Now, I know everything that they had in Egypt has is, is been packed. <laughs> Do I have to go through all that stuff to find the ram skins, honey? But, I mean, all this stuff has been packed, and these are the things that are going to be needed for this project. Now, we read this, and we just kind of go through this whole story, and we think, oh, yeah, that's really nice. They're just going to build this tabernacle. But what God is asking of him is amazing. Just ponder this. All right, so here, here we got and, uh, oil for the light, spice, anointing oil, sweet incense, stones. Yeah, we got them readily sitting around. Stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Then let me let them make me a sanctuary. So it's it's not only a dwelling place of God, a very special place, a sanctified place that is going to be very unique, but it's a diverse project that they are going to be involved in. You know, are you serious? Lengthy wood boards. Yeah. We got those in the wilderness. The local Home Depot. I, I'm just trying to help you through. Um you know, this is an amazing thing. It was a detailed pattern. Look in chapter 5 and verse 9. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Architect, 
makes this beautiful building he's going to build, you know, and there's always going to be some criticism. I've got blueprints, got everything laid out. Right, Brother Murphy? Got these blueprints, got it all laid out. And there's always someone that says, well, it's not going to work if you do that. It's not going to work if you do this. This won't work here. Oh, we got to move this around. No, this isn't going to look right here. These are God's plans. This is God's blueprint here. This is not, this is not man's. This is how it's going to be laid out. This is how it is. And there is no room for anyone to say, I don't like the way that is. You know, I don't think this room, I think this room should be a little bit bigger. I think this picture should go on this, on this, uh, on this um, curtain. <laughs> There's no walls, right? On this curtain. Um, this is a, a very detailed pattern that God had given to them. And do you know that the great detail of this is spoken actually throughout the Bible? It's kind of interesting, but uh, just look in, um, in, in this section, first of all, look in chapter 26 and in verse 30. And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to what? To the fashion thereof that was showed thee in the mount. All right, so look, God gave him the plans. God showed him the tabernacle. This is what it's going to look like, Moses. And, and guess what? There was a big cloud on the mountain. So who's the, who's the only one that saw this? Moses. Well, and you say Joshua too, because uh, he was Moses' servant. So here we have this like amazingly detailed plan, and I, we're not done. Look in chapter twenty-seven, and again, verse eight: "Hallow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount. So shall they make it." Nine um, and in verse forty-two, uh, we are told uh, once again this idea. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the works. So this is exactly what God had laid out. Now, I don't know about you, but we got this diverse project. We have this, this amazing project because it's going to be God's dwelling place. We have this detailed pattern given to him by God. And I said it was found in other places. Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. This could not be according to, Ma uh, to Moses' idea or anyone else's. This was God's specifications. These are God's specs, all right, for this building. Hebrews 8.5. I think it's interesting it's mentioned so many times in Scripture. Hebrews 8.5. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So we got this, we got this project. Are you starting to see this? I, this is an amazing thing. By the way, it goes as far as, okay, I'll say it, the underwear Aaron was supposed to wear. I mean, that's how detailed we're going to get with this. I'm not kidding. Now, are you starting to grasp? This enormous task. This in verse chapter thirteen, because I believe, at least from my perspective, I would say that Moses is there saying, "How is this going to?" All right. Not only that, it was a distinctive product. It was a distinctive product. There was nothing like it. Nothing like it. 
not, as far as we know, there was nothing like it in the world because this was whose design? Brought to you by God. Specifically, pictures given to you by God when you were in the mount. That was part of what they dis- discussed. I, and no one, no one saw it other than, again, Moses. And God described, he said, you know, there's this lamp you're going to have to make and it's going to have, it's going to have almonds, that, you know, as, as part of it. There's all sorts of designs that are, are really, it's an amazing thing. So it's a distinctive product. Nothing like it in the world. They were going to have to produce something with only plans given them by a man who saw them given to him by God when he was in the mount, a distinctive product. And, uh, and so it was designed by God, no pressure to perform there. And then it was going to be critiqued by 1.5 million people who would see it regularly and go into it. It was a, a difficult proposal, to say the least. A very elaborate tabernacle for God to dwell and meet with them. And that alone would make this undertaking difficult. But think about this. It had to be portable. Okay, you've never thought those things through, have you, before? This had to be portable. You had to be able to pick it up and walk with it, leave. And it was in the wilderness. Again, there's no Home Depot. There's no Lowe's. There's no fine furnishing showroom. Can't purchase what's needed for the work. There's no shop where things can be fabricated. This was going to be done in what we would say would be the crudest of settings. Now, I'm really not trying to fabricate a picture beyond what's revealed in Scripture. These are all things we find in the text. This is, this is truly an, an, an amazing thing. You say, is it a big deal? I think it was a big deal to Moses at that point. And that's why when we go back to chapter 31 and, and we read the words, and the Lord spake unto Moses, this is really a pretty critical juncture for him because God has just finished giving him all these details about this amazing building that was supposed to be built that has to be portable for which they have no means to get all the things that are necessary. God obviously knew that the children of Israel had all these things because that's how they got everything, everything everything for this project. And that means that they were carrying, these guys had on their, their camels or their animals or whatever, shit and wood that they were carrying with them for some, in some way or that they could access and they could get to. This is all an amazing thing. So, so I'm not trying to give you a picture. It wasn't, I think Moses was kind of reeling at the prospect of doing this project. We're not told, but we do know this. Speaking to Moses and said, okay, look, I got someone to take care of this for you. And I got to imagine that chapter 31 was a great relief to Moses. Moses was an intelligent man. He had been brought up in in Pharaoh's uh, household, so he was trained in the learning of the Egyptians. He was an intelligent man, but how is he going to build a building of curtains? that is going to house God in the middle of the wilderness with items only provided by what the people already have. So I want you to see the provision. And this is beautiful. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, chapter 31, verse 2, See, I have called by name Bezaleel, the son of Uri, 
the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. Stop right there and think about that. How many people do you know that would have skill in all those areas? Come on. All right, look, I've known some, I've known some talented people, people that I thought I could almost talk to, any, to about anything and say, all right, look, how would I do this or how would I do that? But someone skilled in these areas? Come on. Are you starting to see how, um, how amazing chapter 31 really is? The, the fact is that God provided. God said, here's what I want, Moses. Here's what it's going to look like, and it's going to be my dwelling place, and it's got to be portable, and all these things have to be the case. I, here are all the items that it is exactly, you need to make it exactly according to my plan. Moses has is, is, is got to be kind of sitting there saying, okay, Lord. And then the Lord says, all right, I want you to know I, I, there's a guy. And, and here's the, the provision God had selected. And, and there, here's the reason why I think Moses was reeling at this. Look at the first word of verse 2. See? It's almost as if God's saying, Moses, look, look at me. Oh, I, I need you to do that right now. Look at me. You ever done that as a parent? Look at me. And that appears to be the idea of, of this thing. Hey, Moses, look, I have already taken care of this. All right, you're sweating it out. I'm telling you to do all these things. And you're thinking, how? And God says, I, I've already taken care of it. I have selected. I, I kind of see it as, hey, Moses, look at me. You paying attention? I've taken care of your project manager. I've called him. That's how God puts it. I've, I've already selected someone for the work, Moses. You don't even have to find someone for the job. I got the man already. He's going to take care of it for you. And what's interesting, you see, see, I have called by name. Some writers tell us that not only did God call the person, but the wording suggests God chose his name. Now, I don't know how we can do that, so I'm not going to state this as a dogmatic fact. But they do suggest that, that it's possible in the language that, that it was saying that God chose his name. And you say, well, you know, big deal. Well, the name means in the shadow of God. And the idea of Bezalel's name, the idea was that he was under the special protection of the Most High. Now, that's interesting to me. And his name really does give us this beautiful picture that this guy was under the protection and under the work of Almighty God throughout his life so that God could then come to Moses and say, I got this building you're going to make for me, and, and, and I've got vestments and I've got clothes that you're going to put make for Aaron. I mean, we're talking about everything from what he wears on the outside to what he wears underneath. All those things, I've got it all laid out. Here's what it is. You got the pattern. And I've already called a man. And I gave him a name that reminds us that I took care of everything and I prepared him at a time so that now he's going to be ready to do this work in the middle of the wilderness with nothing other than the gifts of God's people. This really is an amazing, it's an amazing chapter. 
and what he reveals here is an amazing thing. So, so God, God had selected, that God had supplied. Look, look at verse three, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and an understanding and a knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. So God had supplied. Not only God made a special calling of a specific person. Out of the way, we know there were 600,000 men that left Egypt, at least, because they were, they were part of, the, you'd say, the army. We're talking about children as well. We're talking about families. I mean, some, most estimates are around 2 to 2.5 million. I, I always say taking the lowest number you possibly could, there was at least 1.5 million people. And one man out of the 1.5 million people to do this work. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? When you, you think through, is, is being said here that God said, okay, there's just, there's just one guy in, in this hole. And throughout his life, I have been at work and I have been working with him so that he is going to be ready for this time to do this work that no one else can do but him. And I called him and I've already chosen him out and I've given him everything he needs. This is a it's a beautiful reminder, and quite honestly, it's, it's a reminder of, to all of us in life that, that there is a God in heaven that has a plan for all of us to accomplish for God, and only we can do it, but God will do it through us if we're willing. And that's a little bit further, but God had supplied everything he needed. Notice the list. What are the things God provided him with? Look in verse 3. All right, help me out. Oh no, you you're 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 going beyond where you should be. No, what he needed what did he need first? The spirit of God. All right? So you're going to wisdom, understanding everything else. Good things, but you're nothing unless you have the spirit of God. And that's what he said. He said, Look, I, first I want you to know I've given him I've given him my spirit. Now, you say, Well, what um, nothing can be done for the glory of God without the help of God. And what's uh, what's so interesting, in New Testament times, God's Spirit indwells believers and empowers believers all the time, which is a beautiful truth. In the Old Testament, God often gave the Spirit at times to various men to do the work of God. The Spirit of God left Saul. The Spirit had been given to him to be a king over Israel. And there was a time when that Spirit left uh, you can read at times that David, from that day forward, when he was anointed, was filled with the Spirit of God. So God came and anointed people specific works, and Bezalel happened to be one of them. Who's Bezalel? Probably most people are saying, who's that guy? He was one that God gave his spirit to. He supplied him with the Spirit of God. Um, and, uh, and then, what did God give him after that? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Got to have that, right? Which would give him the ability to do the workmanship. Um, and notice, if you would, look in uh, chapter 35. Just take a moment and turn there, would you? See, if I don't hear any pages turning, I'm going to know you probably fell asleep on me. So, there you go. Oh, I do see, hear some pages. 
And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, verse 30, the Lord hath called by name. By the way, isn't it interesting that he said the same thing to the children of Israel? Do you think that Moses, after he told them all these things, they're like saying, yeah, sure, Moses, how are we going to do this? See, God hath called, I love that, by name, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he hath filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship and the divine gold and in silver and in brass and then the cutting of stones and to set them and in carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. And, get this, put in a heart that he may teach both he and say. the son of Ahissamach, I love these people's names, of the tribe of Dan. Them hath he filled with the wisdom of heart to work all manner of work. Not only to do the work, but then also to teach them. Hey, listen, it's, it's one thing for someone to be able to say, I can do that. It is another thing for someone to be able to teach people how to do it. It takes a unique person. It really does. It takes someone, it takes someone special, but actually it just takes a special God who enabled a man to do all that needed to be done. Um, so it's, it's just a, a, a wonderful thing. Look, and, and you're there in chapter 35, right? Look in chapter 36 and verse 1. And then what do we find? Okay, I call He's given, I give him all the talent he needs, then what? Then Bezalel got to work, all right? He wrought. And you look at the rest of the chapter and the one after that. And you know what? Look at chapter 37. And Bezalel made. Verse, chapter 38, verse 1. And he made. Oh, actually, chapter 37, verse 10. And he made. That's a key word. Verse uh, verse 17, and he made. Verse 25, and he made. I, and I'm not going to ask you how many. T- oh, yeah, so look. Um, verse 25, right? And he made. Verse 26, and he overlaid. Verse 27, and he made. Um, verse 28, and he made. Verse 29, and he made. Um, here's a guy called of God, given help by God, and what did he do? He just did the work. Here's it. Know this. When God has a work to be done, he'll prepare you for it. He'll take care of the details. He'll enable you to accomplish it. But God uses people. And uh, when we talk about God's supply, we learn about men back in chapter 31. Bezalel and Aholiah. I knew I was going to slaughter that name. Um, But... um, but I want you to think about the little issue of supply. Remember the list of things back in chapter 25? Where are you going to get this stuff? Where are you going to get all these things? So Moses asked the people to give, as God instructed in Exodus chapter 25. So um, go to chapter 36. Verse 4 says, And all the wise men that wrought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work which they made. They stopped their work. You know why they stopped their work? Because <laughs> they just didn't have anything else. They were left without. The Lord just wasn't providing. We need more for the work. We need a bigger offering. We need another $10,000. Why did they stop the work? Look at verse 5. They spake unto Moses. We have too much. 
history of, of any Baptist church in the wilderness that a preacher ever stopped, asked people to stop giving. I, you know, it's the only place in Scripture I ever know that they ask people to stop giving. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if in churches the preacher said, the offerings have just been too big. Offerings have just been too big. Stop giving, people. Um, but that's what it says. The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, that neither man nor woman make work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and and too much. Um, so I guess people brought home leftovers. Ah, that reminds us. Um, it's just this really is a it's it's a beautiful story that um, that a lot of times people will just read through because it's the law and they won't even think about it. But it's a beautiful picture of how God God is ultimately, I, I put God as sovereign. So, so God selected, God had selected, God had supplied. We're reminded that God is sovereign. Now, I know the word sovereignty has been ruined by Calvinism, but it's not a bad word. It's in the Bible. It's right. It's true. God is a sovereign God. The word means to possess supreme or ultimate power, and he does. One man from at least 600,000 men, this text was chosen. That's amazing enough. But go back to chapter 31. And as you go back to chapter 31, where we find him mentioned, and then how God filled him and everything else, um, there's two possible ways that Bezalel was able to do all this work. One was that he had no knowledge whatsoever, and God just miraculously, miraculously gave it to him. And by the way, if that, then we have a sovereign God being pictured in the fact that Bezalel didn't know what he was doing, but he was able to do amazing things and teach others to do amazing things that, that, uh, that wouldn't have been learned by the children of Israel. You say, yes, it would have been learned by the children of Israel, but there wasn't one brick in this building. They were expert brickmakers. That's what they had been doing for 400 years. They had to work with, with all sorts of gems. They had to work with clothes. They had, to, they had to fabricate walls out of curtains with various... This is a major undertaking. So, so one way is either God just miraculously gave them this, or, and this also pictures the sovereignty of God, that Bezalel throughout life, constantly leaving dad as he made bricks, to slip out and go over to the Egyptian who's working with, with diamonds and gems and other things and saying, I want to see how this works. You know? can't imagine his mom, Bezalel's mom, saying, oh, good old Bezzy. Bezzy, he's always running off and he's looking at, why does he always want to go over there and learn about that and learn about this? And, and why is he always looking into this? I, probably as a parent, he's saying, why don't you just learn my trade? Because this is what you're going to be doing. But God, very possibly, and this is probably how it was, gave him a very inquisitive mind that he just had to figure out how to do this. And everything he saw, he just thought, of, wow, how would that go together? 
You know, he was the one that, uh, the plumbing's broken. Uh, get Bezalel to look at it. You know? I, I, oh, I got some, I got, my, my top is ripped. Get Bezalel to sew it. He knows how to do everything. Okay, think about these things. How many know how to do how to do sewing? They're great at that, but they also know how to work with gems. They also know how to do very fancy woodwork, and they can work with gold. Other than either this man was just incredibly inquisitive, God gave him a tremendous mind, and that all proves the sovereignty of God as well, that God had been working years and years before to give this, this little guy an inquisitive mind that he would actually start figuring these things out so that when, when it comes time for God to say, all right, Moses, you're going to build me a tabernacle. How is it going to be done, Lord? There's this one guy out of the tribe of, of this tribe, um, Bezalel, he's the guy that I want you, and he knows how to do it all. Um, God is a sovereign God. How did it all happen? It doesn't matter. What it does all picture for us is that there is an almighty God at work in every situation of life. And when God has work that needs to be done, God will take care of that work through his people and give them the ability and the strength and the help that they need to do the work that needs to be done. So here are the principles. Let me just give you some principles then, and we'll be done. Uh, the first first principle is that God. Look, why did why did God go to all that trouble? He just parted the the sea a short while before he was feeding. 1.5 million people every day. So why make them go to all this work? God could have made a far better building portable. Like that. How did God do it? Because, because God uses people. Because God uses people. That's a wheel. Yeah. How many people probably thought about this guy? This guy's never going to amount to anything. He's always running off. He's not learning what he, the, the trade. He's going to end up. He's going to end up making bricks and helping build Pharaoh's Pharaoh cities. And the guy just isn't paying attention to anything. No, I I kind of like I, I kind of want to picture him as like a nerd that someone would think this guy will never amount to anything, you know. And then God just does some work with him. I don't know, but here's the point. It's just a reminder. God uses people, and I'll, I'll tell you something. God uses people today. God uses people today. There's a work that needs to be done here in the area. There are people that be one to Jesus Christ. People that you will come in contact with. Maybe no one else from this church, and maybe no other Christian will ever come in contact with. There's people, there's a work that needs to be done for Jesus Christ. And God uses people. And, and here's the thing. Not only does God use people, but the second principle is this, that God will supply. God's spirit still empowers for God's work today. I'm not trying to spiritualize the text. It's just true. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. New Testament is full of promises that God will enable and God will empower for the work that he called you to do. The Spirit gives gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. What is that? Why are those gifts? Why did God give you the talents and abilities? And God? Why does God give you the gifts that you, you have? Whether that's giving or whether that is ministering or whatever that might be. It's because God has the work to be done. 
and only you can do it, and God has enabled you, and God has empowered you, and God will give you the strength and the help that you need because God uses people, and God will supply. So here's some things under God will supply. First, don't worry about the details. And I'm not saying planning is wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't give attention to detail, but there is no way that best ever known that this was going to be his job later on in life, and there's no way he could have prepared for this. God took care of all that stuff, so don't sweat it. Well, I don't know. I don't know how I could ever be a witness. Well, all right, you don't have to worry about that. You just have to be willing to surrender to God and say, God's Spirit will give me the strength and power. You can learn verses, and there's things that you can do, yes, but God uses people, and God empowers people. So don't, don't worry about the details. Just uh, secondly, look to him in faith. Look to him in faith. You can learn verses. You can memorize a plan to help you be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's not sinful. But you have to just take a step of obedience and faith and say to God, all right, look, there's something for me to do. I'm willing to do it. Will you use me? And then act upon it. Don't worry about the details. Look to him in faith. And then the, the final, uh, well, yeah, the final principle is able. I want you to think about this. If God could prepare a man to do so many skilled labor things to build a tabernacle in the middle of a wilderness and provide all the items that were needed, I kind of wonder if how many of these things the Egyptians had been spoiled of, how, how many of these things that the Israelites had gone in and said, ooh, I like that ruby. Let me have that. And then, you know, some lady, I'd like that. Would you give that to me? Oh, yes, you can have it. You know, and so when they leave after they spoiled the Egyptians, God said that they spoiled the Egyptians. All right? So I, I can't help but think, you know, Moses talking about, well, we're going to need gems, we're going to need this. Oh, you remember that ruby? I told her I ruby. She gave it to me. You know, God, God is able. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, we don't know how. We don't know how things ever be accomplished. Well, well, we haven't seen any pro- property provided. Oh, I don't know how, but God is able. If He can, if He can furnish meals in the wilderness, if He can call a guy and prepare him for a work like this, so you say almost bizarre in the middle of the wilderness in the middle of a wilderness journey and, and have him put up a building that, and a structure that was pleasing to God, that was portable, then why would we doubt God is able? Uh, my dad worked as transportation manager for Stanley Works. You may not know the company, but actually they merged in 2010 with Black & Decker. You heard that name before. Probably don't know Stanley Tools much anymore but they still employ 70,000 people. I just read that on the internet the other day. It's a pretty impressive thing. Uh, DeWalt, you ever hear that name? Yeah, that's one of the names under Stanley Tools, Stanley Works, which is centered in New Britain, Connecticut. Dad used to give business to these guys. He was a transportation manager, so he sends stuff all over the world, tools all over. Um, but, you know, his job, but sometimes he got tickets for his baby. He did. It's just a fact, all right? Sorry, going to get you angry there, Brother Duncan, but it's just the truth. Uh, and he got him through these, these ports in New York, these businesses. They, well, we couldn't do it all the time because then it would seem to be a little bit inappropriate. But every once in a while, uh, they would offer. They'd say, my dad, would you like to go to a ball game? Well, you know, when we went to those ball games, 
was, and Dad had gotten the tickets from these guys. They were right behind the first base dugout. Best, best seats in the stadium. I mean, you were, you were right there. You could, you could talk to the players. And, uh, and, you know, you're just right on the first base, baseline. It was like, you, if you understand my dad, if we ever went to a ball game, we were in the bleachers. Okay? Dad would never put out money to be along the first baseline because we're talking about very expensive tickets, but that's where we would be. And when we would go to the New York games, um, also would provide a meal for us. Now, it wasn't a meal at McDonald's. We went to a place uh, at least two or three times called Ponte's. Um, and uh, everyone, everyone from the Mater D, and yes, they had one of those, uh, was wearing tuxes. And, and they served with the traditional white cloth over their They'd come and they'd bring things to you. They would serve you. They would actually put the things on either on your plate or whatever. Um, they served, loved it. They served, uh, uh, Coke came out in little six-ounce uh, glass Coke bottles. And, um, and we could have as many as we wanted. Um, yeah, yeah, you know how much I drink? I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. There's uh, Pete Quake and I uh, were able to go to one of the games, and we're, we're sitting there, and without a doubt, we probably had like 16 of them. Yeah, and, and the guy would come out. Uh, another co- uh, Italians, so it was really just, they didn't have prices on the menu. You know it was expensive, all right, at this place. They come, and, so, and so then when you, you say, yeah, we, we'll have another Coke. He'd come out and he'd say, he'd say, thank you. He'd go get it. He'd come out and he'd put it on the table. And, uh, and we'd drink that and it was done. He said, would you like another one? Sir? Uh, yes, thank you. <clears throat> so we went through this, we went through this over and over, get to the end of the meal. And he goes out and says, would you like another, sir? Uh, no, we're fine. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, probably hundreds of dollars for this meal. If you know my dad, we ain't never going to pound other than when someone, you know, bought it for us. I think it was a mafia place, quite honestly. Uh, seriously. By the way, the Mater D told our waiter, VIP, there was always flowers on the table. This was like first class. We would have never enjoyed that. You say, why, why did you tell the story? Because the baseball game and Ponte's and all those things, we could never and never would have enjoyed ourselves. It all had to be provided for us because dad wasn't going to spend the money and we didn't have the money really to go and do those things. If we were able to enjoy it and if we were able to, to if you say, have this wonderful time, it's because God provided. And the truth is in life, if we're ever going to be able to accomplish what we need to get done and if we're ever going to see things uh, happen, it's, it's not because we have great ability. It's not because we're special or anything else. It's because, it's because God does something that we can't do for ourselves. And I, I'm thankful that there were, there were businessmen every once in a while who were willing to do something very special for us so that we could enjoy something we, I've never been able to enjoy. I mean, I've been to a, been to a place like Ponte's. Uh, I've been to ball games, but I've rarely ever been right behind the first based on that. rarely been able to enjoy that, but it was all because someone else provided. And the truth is, um, 
if I'm going to enjoy life, I'm going to accomplish anything for God, it's good because God is the one who provides everything for me. And here's the thing, that God will do that. God will do that. And it's encouraging to me to come to a passage like this to see a structure and to think about a structure that was humanly impossible to make and accomplish. But God, years before, had taken care of all the things that need to be taken care of. And, and even in the recent past, had taken care of all that needed, made sure the Israelites had all the items that would be needed so that when God said, this is what needs to be done, he could say, there's a man to do the job, and you just ask the people for everything, it'll all be cared for. Now, I don't know about you, but it's encouraging to know there's a God in heaven that's able to do those things, and I just need to trust him to do it. Can't do it on my own, but there's a great work to be done for God, and God will provide what's needed if I'll just look to him and trust him. And I hope you'll do that very thing. Father, I thank you so very much for your word, and I